The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. If you've uh, been following along, uh, uh, both in our public reading of Scripture as well as in our preaching, we have uh, endeavored to keep the season of Easter in front of us, this great 50-day celebration that church has taken up historically is not easy to sustain, not easy to keep, uh, especially in a world that pushes you towards the secular holidays and kind of the calendar of sports and recreation and all of the things that it has to do with being an American and life in America. But the church would call us to something far more important and far greater. So we've been reading resurrection texts like we did today from Job. We uh, have, are going to be reading through the book of first, the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians and Paul's reflections on the resurrection as well as my preaching from uh, each of the Gospels uh, to show how the resurrection of Jesus opens uh, the door for uh, the complete restoration of all things. I know that some of you uh, believe, and I, I, I have no argument with it. I think there's room for discussion and disagreement. Some of you believe that will happen uh, in, in the rapture of the church. Uh, others of you believe that will come gradually through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel and that the gospel will win out over uh, the unbelief of this world through the faithfulness of God's people. Wherever you might land in your own particular eschatology, let's be assured of this, all of it is going to be completed as Paul said it would be completed, and that is that God will be seen as all in all and all things under subjection to Jesus. And so when we come to John 20, we find in verse number 19 that it is the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that is the day of the resurrection of Jesus. The doors are locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold, the, withhold forgiveness from any, uh, it is withheld. It's the word of the Lord, and it is um, always for our good. Well, what we found in uh, Mark and Matthew is that uh, the blessing of restoration comes uh, when we go to meet Jesus, am I doing anything? I'm just taking breath mints. There was nothing more to it. We okay? Everything okay, Todd? I'm not standing in a pool of water. I'm, I'm good? All right. Uh, hopefully everything's still working. Friends at home, if we've left you, I'm sorry. We'll be back shortly. What we found in Matthew and Mark is that restoration has to do with uh, going to Galilee, and there in Galilee, we 
uh, we meet Jesus. We meet Jesus in our own personal needs, in our own personal life and issues. And the church as a whole is to be going to Galilee um, and there to be, to be restored. Uh, we learned from Luke last week how that um, the hope of restoration is rooted in the central theme of the Bible. And that thread that runs from uh, the beginning to the end of scriptures. And that theme, of course, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We read the chapters, or we read the passages, didn't we? Uh, we read the very words of Jesus himself, and then we read uh, the words from, um, uh, from the apostles, from Peter, and from Philip the Evangelist, and, from, and of course from Paul. And uh, we were reminded how important it is to hold fast to that central theme. This is what our identity is. And uh, Luke provided for us in his gospel, as well in, as in the book of Acts, the encouragement for the church to keep that truth central. Well, what we're going to see today and the next week from John's gospel is that our, our promised restoration is, is found in the physical, glorified, resurrected body of Jesus. And it's very important that you hear those words. It is a physical, glorified, resurrected body. And if we're going to experience the restoration which God has promised to us in the resurrected Christ, we must hold fast to the truth of who Jesus is now seated on his throne, as well as what Jesus in history has accomplished for us and is now being applied to us through a Savior who rose in a physical glorified body. It is worth noting that it did not take long for lies to be spread about the resurrection of Jesus and those lies which were told by the religious leaders created an atmosphere of fear among the followers of Jesus. Because, of course, they were blamed uh, for taking, stealing the body of Jesus. You might recall that the guards were paid off, right? And then were instructed to lie, to say that the disciples had come and taken the body of Jesus. Now, I may be talking today to somebody who can't get to believing that the resurrected body of Jesus, Jesus walked out of the tomb. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's far more believable than that a group of disciples somehow overtook the, the guards and stole the body. You know, the group of disciples led by Peter who couldn't even stand up for Jesus in the courtyard to a young servant girl. So whatever your skepticism may be about the resurrection of Jesus, at least have a decent story to tell. And not one that just is, is completely ludicrous. But this question does continue to be debated among religious people. Did Jesus walk out of the tomb in a physical body? Or did a disembodied spirit? Or did a, a memory? Or did a philosophy of goodwill, love to all men, kind of flowed out of the, the tomb. And that's what those disciples held on to. And that's how they changed the world. They changed the world 
you know, by a philosophy, by uh, going out and telling people about the memory of Jesus. Of course, there are people standing in pulpits today, that's what they preach. That was preached all across America on Easter Sunday. A denial of the actual physical resurrection of Jesus and an embracing of a kind of humanistic Christian religion that says just be the best version of you that you can be. Carry forth the memory of Jesus. As one local church I understood preached, you know, Easter is about you facing your greatest obstacle and overcoming it. I mean, and you wonder why we're in the mess we're in as a nation. So it, it is of great importance, it is of vital importance to the church that we understand what happened on Resurrection Day and how Jesus shows us this and John records it uh, for us. You see, at the beginning of John's gospel, he tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I don't know about you, but I like my chili con carne. Right? I don't just want beans and some sauce, right? I want what? Meat. I want chili with meat, con carne. And uh, God, in his grace, comes down in the person of Jesus in a body taking physical form. The physical body of Jesus had the capacities to eat, to drink, to sleep, to be awake, to be refreshed, to be tired to engage in work it had the capacity to relate to people and of course to respond emotionally to people as well as to love and worship of the one true god the one jesus who had existed for all eternity humbled himself he took on uh, the human flesh and of course in that flesh he suffered for our sins as he bore our sins on his body uh, through crucifixion. And it is in this great act of love that we find the fulfillment of even the earliest promise of redemption in the Bible, and that is the crushing of the head of the serpent. And this is what Jesus does when he goes to the cross. You see, Satan thought that he had achieved what he set out to do, and that was to mar, damage, deface God's creation, that which God called good, but Satan also wanted to mar and deface uh, the man who was made in the image of God, right? That when God formed man, he breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul, that which is created in God's God's image. But what Satan did not foresee, what Satan could not grasp and imagine, is that God himself would come and take on humanity. That he would live a perfect life and that he would willingly give himself in such a way that he would be marred more than all of the sons of men. Satan could not grasp that. He could not get there. He could not think that it would be possible for God to humble himself in such a way that God himself would come and give himself for the healing 
of the very people who had rebelled and sinned against him. You see, the arrogance of Satan would never allow him to consider that God would humble himself to that depth and to that degree, but this is how great and how deep God's commitment of love is for his people. This is how much his commitment of love is towards us. So then, of course, it is after the death of Jesus that the physical human body of Jesus taken down from the cross, placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea where a body had not been previously placed. It is a dead body. But the spirit of Jesus is alive, and in keeping with Peter, we find that in his spirit, Jesus goes into the very depths of hell, and there he declares victory. The old uh, phrase that we like to use, the harrowing of hell, that is the ransacking of, the announcement of Christ's victor over all things, even death and hell and the grave. And this is what Jesus does as he goes into the very heart of darkness and leads a host of captives to freedom. He announces that through his death, Sins would be forgiven. People would be made free. He had won the victory. Now that is what is taking place in the unseen world, but in the seen world, the assumption is that Jesus accomplished absolutely nothing because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that God's favor could not possibly be with Jesus because there he hung his body crucified but again what people could not perceive is that the curse was undone and the law was fulfilled through the obedience of jesus in such a way that restoration now is able to come in through the victory of jesus who is not only the sacrifice for our sins but the one who actually delivers us and makes us free that our freedom is indeed in Christ. So here is our hope. And here is our joy. For it was on the, first, on the morning of the first day of the week, the third day, that Jesus walks out of the tomb in a physical body now glorified. The word that became flesh is the word that remains flesh. The physical glorified body now enthroned will again appear for all to see or as the scripture says to be marveled at who would have thought it possible and yet this is exactly what God did in sending Jesus and raising him from the dead what does this mean it means that the hellish intentions of Satan are overturned because now in Christ, we who by faith repent of our sins are reborn. We are remade into the image and likeness of Christ. This is why the physical body of Jesus, a glorified physical body, had to be raised from the dead. And when it came out of the tomb, it showed us where our hope would actually lie. And that is in Jesus Christ. Not a memory, not a religious philosophy. Not an idea of going around the countryside and doing good for people. But our hope is in Christ risen 
physically glorified, enthroned, coming again. Now what John does for us is that he tells us a little bit about what this physical glorified body of Jesus uh, is capable of. Which then serves, according to what uh, David read from 1 Corinthians 15 in the Apostle Paul, it's the first fruit. It's a prototype, if you will, of what we one day will also enjoy uh, when we are raised from the dead by God's grace. It's a physical glorified body, apparently not able to be constrained by the laws of physicality. Tom, if you're going to go out that door, what must you first do? It's not a trick question. you got to open it. But apparently the laws of physicality in the now resurrected physical glorified body of Jesus do not hold true as the doors are locked and John says, there he is in our midst. And what does he do when he comes into their midst? He announces peace. He announces peace. It is a physical glorified body, but it still bears the wounds of suffering. He invites uh, the frightened disciples to look at his hands and to look at his side. And John tells us when they did, they were made glad. It is a physical glorified body that breathed as he breathes on them the Holy Spirit in anticipation of the fuller day of the coming of the Spirit. Just as God breathed life into Adam and Adam became a living spirit, so the Spirit of God comes into us and we become alive, animated, ready to go for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a physical glorified body that conveyed authority on the disciples. The authority was focused on the very work of Jesus himself. It has to do with forgiveness of sins in verse number 23, that they actually have authority through the glorified Christ whose body was raised from the dead. This is no disembodied spirit. This is no memory. This is no religious philosophy. This is Christ giving them authority and saying to them that he is with them. But let me ask you, what do you make of 2020? No pun intended. What do you make of 20 and verse 20, which is repeated again in the episode with Thomas, when in the physical glorified body of Jesus, the scars are still on the hands and on the side? Now, what I'm about to say, John Calvin calls absurd. And you know who John Calvin is, right? He's not the guy in the, uh, the comic strips. Like, he's the great theologian of the church. And who am I to disagree with John Calvin. But Calvin would say that if you think that uh, after his ascension, Christ kept the wounds visible in his hands and in his side, that's an absurd thought. And my question to Calvin is, well, why? Because he never says. He just says it's absurd. Such he can do. He's now dead. He knows better now. Because Ken Prater, Ken Prater believes that indeed... Uh, 
those marks remain for us, perhaps, who were not there when they crucified our Lord. But one day when we see him in eternity to come, we too will see uh, the marks on the hands of Jesus and on the side of Jesus. Now, I don't want to go beyond there because all we are told, both in uh, 2020 as well as with Thomas, Jesus saying to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. So I don't know about the feet, I don't know about the crown, I don't know about the other things. I'm just telling you what I see in John and there's no reason to think that's absurd. That in the present constitution of the physical glorified body of Christ that that not, would not continue in eternity. That his scars will be the eternal reminder of how deep and full and freeing the love of God is for us. That the scars on the hands and feet of Jesus will be visible for us to see. And that his scars will not mar the perfection of heaven, but will be indeed the glory of heaven that we get to gaze upon. As our bodies are made completely perfect in our resurrection, the only thing that will remain of this life to look at is what Jesus did on our behalf. Now again, I, I, there's room for disagreement on that, and that's fine. Line up with Calvin if you want. Take your chances. I'm feeling pretty good about that point. <laughs> Restoration. We too one day fully restored. There, there was a a study by the Joint Center for Housing at Harvard that found that between 1994 and 2015, the United States spent, on, on average, about $40 billion a year on the restoration of communities that were affected by natural disasters, $40 billion a year. Uh, that does not account for the millions and millions of dollars given by relief organizations or local communities or individuals. Many of those, by the way, Christians. The restoration of some of those places, right? Ravaged by floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, fire, earthquakes still underway. That, that is a massive cost, but we should be reminded it is not an infinite cost. And, and to the extent that they were able to do restoration, the restoration is not eternally permanent. In other words, the city of New Orleans put back together now in five years could be completely wiped out again. But that's not the kind of restoration that Jesus does for us. You see, the death of Christ has infinite value and our restoration will be eternally applied. Never never to be taken away, never, never to be undone, always trusting in the good grace of God because the death of Jesus settles the issue of justice for holy God, the payment for our sins, infinite cost, application in terms of restoration, applied for all eternity. We will be made complete. The resurrection of Jesus secures then our hope for an abundant life now and a life of glory forever with God. I would suggest, urge to get this language, this language of hope.
I would strongly, strongly urge us to learn to speak this kind of language to people who have so little hope, who see this temporal world falling apart, that there is actually, on the evening of the first day, hope given to a group of frightened disciples. They were not ready to apprehend all of it on the first night, uh, but they slowly did get it. And through the powerful work of the Spirit, they preached these things. They gave it to the church as a treasure so that the church could use it then as a pillar and a buttress of truth. This is what we need to be saying about Jesus and learning how to say it in joyful, cheerful, hopeful ways. When our heads held high, we say, yeah, it sounds ridiculous, but it is true. It's the truth that we stand on. Well, the physical glorified body of Jesus that entered the room on the evening of his resurrection is indeed a prototype of the body we too will inhabit for all eternity. But what we must not miss is in that room on that evening, another prototype was on display. Because in, in that section of Scripture, John 20, 19 through 23, we see the church. We see the church. And if we're willing to look at it carefully and consider it and think about it, uh, we will see some markers that need to be evident in this group of believers or the ones who are still at home watching online or the ones who are down at St. James this morning. Are there not times when we too are afraid? Are there not times when we're anxious, filled with we uh, fear and worry? So who do we need constantly in the, in the center? Who do we need to keep being pulled towards as a church? It's always Jesus who's in the middle, announcing peace. What do we need to focus on? We need to see again the wounds of Jesus. That's why we sing the hymns we sing. That's why we read the scriptures we read. This is why week after week we take up the cup and we take the bread and we are reminded of what Christ accomplished for us. When we see Jesus wounded for us, we are made glad as we proclaim the word of God, preached, prayed over, lived out, as we see ourselves sent by Jesus. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I'm sending you the church. I'm sending you forth in peace and yet with power and authority so that you too can forgive because God's forgiveness is seen. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withhold. As we, filled with the Spirit, go out with the authority of Christ, we are able to proclaim the good news of God's salvation. Do you see the church there? I know it was popular for a lot of years for the churches, churches to come up with mission statements and vision statements and this statement and that statement, whatever. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the best thing that a church can do is just find itself in the Scripture. Just see itself in the Scripture. And there's more places than, you know, Acts 2. When they're eating together every day and people want to have house churches and all those kinds of things. 
Right here is the church with Jesus in the middle being sent under the authority and power of the Holy Spirit to preach the forgiveness of sins. We don't have to guess at what we're to be about. It was on the night of the day of his resurrection that we see how restoration is made possible and that the church now is the possibility that restoration can come to anyone who by faith in Jesus wants to be put back together. Fear removed, peace takes over the room, gladness, joy, hope become the story of the lives of the followers of Jesus. And you know what? One day the groaning of creation will indeed be over. And our groaning will be over. And we will together sing the praise of the Lamb. We will. The Word indeed remains flesh because the physical glorified body of Jesus is seated and exalted on the throne. But let it be true of us also that the Word remains flesh. We are now the living testimony, embodied, the Spirit of God through Jesus who rules and reigns in our lives today. Let me pray. Father, um, we give you thanks for your word uh, given to us today. I pray, O oh Father, that we would heard it through your spirit poured out upon us. And take the language of hope forward. What hope we have to be a people, a people of Christ. And now as we prepare ourselves for your table, the great act of remembering what Christ, you did accomplish. The symbolism that is so powerful and beautiful of the bread and the cup. Our way not only of remembering, but our way of appropriating great grace to strengthen us today. I would encourage you to prepare your hearts to receive the table, the blessing of the Lord that is ours. Let's be quiet before him in prayer. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.